This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We tape Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers hands-on technology support and forward-thinking solutions. With managed IT integration, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what's most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. We're also grateful for the support of Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital, which offers expertly trained doctors and staff that are actively involved in all aspects of patient care. Their reputation for excellence in patient comfort, safety, and overall treatment is reflected in an average patient satisfaction rating of 98% or higher. For more information, visit LafayetteSurgical.com. Our guest today is State Senator Fred Mills, who represents District 22, which covers portions of Lafayette, St. Martin, St. Landry, and Vermilion Parishes. This is our second time to interview Senator Mills, who serves as chair of the Senate Health and Welfare Committee. I've asked him to come talk about recent news concerning the effectiveness of the Louisiana Department of Children and Family Services after recent news of the deaths of two toddlers, each two years of age. One died following his third fentanyl overdose, and the other was found in a trash can after dying from blunt force trauma. Senator Fred Mills, may I call you Fred? Oh, during please, the interview? Jan. Please, Jan. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for bringing yourself and your heart to this interview. You've got a lot of papers in front of you, and this news is really just unfolding. So I know it's kind of a new development that we'll be hearing more about in the next few months, but we've got some problems here in Louisiana. Yes, the Department of Child and Family Services, especially the Child Protection Services and Child Welfare Division, there are some major issues that need to be corrected, modified, and it has different layers of complexity. And we had a, last Tuesday, uh, we had an oversight hearing with the Senate Health and Welfare Committee members and we really had, a, it was about a four and a half hour um, committee meeting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And at committee meeting, we went over issue after issue that the department is facing. We went over audit reports and performance standards. And we also asked the department to tell us, okay, you've had some major issues. We're getting major complaints throughout the state as, as, as elected officials. You know, what is your game plan? What do you mm-hmm. see as your, your weaknesses? What are your opportunities? What are you going to do to correct it? What's your timeline? And, and what, mm-hmm. you, what is going to be the return on investment? So, yes, a lot, Jan. So the secretary of DCFS is Marquita Garner-Walters. And I know that you were telling me before the interview started that we're not the only state going through this, but Louisiana typically seems to have more of the worst problems. We have such a high level of poverty, and I'm assuming that COVID and the shutdown only exacerbated some of the numbers that we're looking at. You're 100% right. Um, you know, if you, you start just looking at statistical information, there's a there's there's what would basically be a call center that that is, is basically housed in the department, and they average about 100,000 phone calls a year, and a lot of those phone calls are from physicians and teachers, and then they prioritize it. A level one is has to be reacted within 24 hours. And what we were hearing from staff members mm-hmm. and constituents that have called, and even testimony from the department is that there's, there's not enough manpower to handle the volume and to handle the mandated 
timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, With a hundred thousand calls, you have yeah, to, I mean, you, and you have yeah. to basically, you know, yeah. is this is this like on fire or is this something you can mm-hmm. put off for a while? And mm-hmm. there's about on an average about twenty thousand of these calls turn into cases, and that's uh, that's a lot of of, uh, of of manpower that's that's needed. And you're right. COVID-19, there was an exodus of, of certain employees. There was an exodus of folks not wanting to come back to work. And an increase also from what I've read in violence in the homes. Yes, yes. And so then, it's a double whammy. And then some of the information that was presented to us, especially in, in some of the areas of Louisiana, is you've had more drug investigations, you've had more homicides, you've had more overdose fatalities. So you're compounding a, a lot of issues all into one. Not to make an excuse for the department, mm-hmm. because the department does need to do some corrections, but it, it looks like some of this is a, is a volume issue. Can you explain, you know, before we get in too deep, what does the Louisiana Department of Children and Family Services do? Like, what is their charge? Wow, it's, it's, it's really, it's multifaceted. You know, like the, the SNAP program for, mm-hmm. for, for food shortages, food stamps, that program is out there. Uh, there's there's a, a, a lot of just different social services in the department. And also, when there is a hurricane, their staff becomes front line to issue food stamps, commodities. Oh. So, so they, they are multifaceted, but at the end of the day, their mission is the health, safety, and welfare of, of children. Mm-hmm. But there are different adoptive services. There, there's, a, there's a lot of, it's, it's a big department. But the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues we saw in the committee hearing last week was that there are 400 authorized funded slots that the legislature has authorized the department that it has not been filled mm-hmm. and their attrition rate continues to rise. Right. So you have right. an attrition rate issue, you have a retention issue, and also you have an issue that once you do hire these new people, you just can't christen them and say they're ready to go to no, work. They the, have training, to be trained. Yeah. the training is pretty, pretty mm-hmm. intense. So the burnout issue is huge. In the committee hearing, one of the retired workers that had been there just for six years, she basically said, I'm in a toxic environment from mm-hmm. a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. But one of her issues, she looked at us and she said, I was working probably 17 to 18 hours a day. And I'm, I'm, I'm really still at the stage. I, mm-hmm. I haven't detoxed yet from this whole situation. She didn't quit for pay reasons. She said it wasn't the pay. And, and we had talked a little bit about it. Is In the last exit interview that I had gone over with this caseworkers, mm-hmm. of the attrition rate, I think it's about 25%, of that 25% that left, only 7.8% left because of pay. The other 52, 53% that identified it was work conditions or personal reasons. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a problem. So the calls that the department gets, you're saying they probably come from physicians, teachers. Um, lay folks. Lay folk, just people that are identifying a child or children yes. that look like they're in a bad situation. And they said that in the testimony, they said that August and September were huge spike up months because of school starting. Really? Yeah. Said so that that was that was this is really because teachers were aware that or aware. when the exams or maybe physicians are doing exams, uh-huh. they're seeing certain things out there. But they said that this is the height of their season, August and September, as far as call intake and case loads, and mm-hmm. that was a that was a huge issue that was brought out. You've been chair of the Health and Welfare Committee for the Senate 
for a while. Yeah, for seven years. Yeah. Has this is this just coming to the forefront, or has this been going on since you've been chair? There's always been performance issues. You know, the legislative auditor and the federal partners that work with the department, they have some certain parameters of mm-hmm. achievement with certain percentages of accomplishment. So their numbers have struggled over the years, but never to this level. And um, I think these two recent children that died, but yeah. like, it's like the last straw to th- find a child in a trash bin. I, I think so. Yeah. And I think what's happened too is I think more people are calling legislators. I think more people are saying, mm-hmm. look, you have to come see what's happening in my area. Yeah. And some of the calls I've gotten is mostly East Baton Rouge and Orleans. I was wondering about that. Yeah, uh, the calls that I've gotten, for, and, and it's it, most of the calls I'm getting, it's former employees that have worked 30, 40 years in the department. Um, and I love what I've done, and I see this is happening. I see certain things trending, and mm-hmm. I think this committee hearing has brought out a lot of people saying, I'd like to talk to somebody. Yeah, so, and it's a safe forum. They can do that, yeah. and hopefully it's going to make a difference. Yeah. But for these two children, again, the department had been made aware that there were problems, and yes. that's what caused this to come to the surface for that child to have his third fentanyl Correct. overdose and, and to finally pass away. But how does a child... I guess it doesn't matter. The family was in disarray and people were notified, but that could have been one of the 100,000 phone calls. Yeah, and and, you know, the department, legally they weren't allowed to get into the details Mm -hmm. because it's under litigation. The department did say that these these people were immediately released, reprimands took place, certain things took place, but it, it's no excuse. What are you going to do that, that never, this never happens again? Mm-hmm. You know, what are you putting in? You know, are you deficit on training? Are right. you deficit on what, what's the issue? Mm-hmm. And some of the testimony from one of the former employees were there that they even have toxic supervisory issues that sometimes the supervisors at a high level aren't understanding mm-hmm. what's the issue for the person in that field on a day-to-day basis that's grinding it out. Uh, we did hear conflicting testimony from the other side saying that it's all hands on deck. Everybody's doing caseload work right now. The supervisors, yeah. Right. So we'll Which get... you would hope. Yeah, know? and we'll get to the bottom of it because uh-huh. our action steps are every six weeks we get together right. and we're going to take this engine apart piece mm-hmm. by piece to put it back together. The news of this touched my heart. Um, I was involved with CASA yeah. at the the recent Heroes event that they had earlier this year, and that's court-appointed special advocates. And I know that there are volunteers around the state and around the country, and I'm sure outside of the U.S., that partner to help children that end up in foster care. So a lot of these children who people are making phone calls about probably need to be taken from their home for at least a while to get the home situated again in a safe place to be. But the partners like CASA have to have field workers to work with. So if you don't have enough, it's a bottleneck all the way downstream. Jen, we we spent a considerable amount of time on that issue and we, 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 we challenged the department are you looking into maybe potential public-private one-year contracts, you know, where mm-hmm. you could basically maybe stop the bleeding on the labor shortage? We called in civil service and said that, you know, we think that the days of hiring an employee and saying, listen, in 30 years you can retire and you're going to get a bunch of comp time, that that's just over with. You know, people are almost like, 
give me a one-year contract with some deliverables and give me a one-year opportunity and maybe with some bonuses. Mm-hmm. You know, we even challenged the department. Uh, can you can you start coming up with a, a program that, you know, if, if Jan's been in the department for 20 years and she recommends Joe to work there and Joe's a fabulous employee, give Jan a finder's fee. Oh, wow. You know, so we're that's saying... That's outside of the usual yeah, operation of so we, we, we were kind of like, okay, you're going to have to think out of the box because you have 400 positions you can't fill. People do not want to... I think the entry-level age is like 35. Oh, so they're a little bit more mature. Well, they're having trouble getting people right out of college is what we were mm-hmm. able to assume. Mm-hmm. So we're like, are you doing community outreach at the 64 parishes? Are you having... Or maybe get together with every economic developer in every parish and have a job fair specifically for this. Mm-hmm. But if you have that job fair, Mr. Civil Service, can you modify your rigid standards? I see. And so, you know, civil service was there. We're going to get as creative as we can. Mm-hmm. And we said, you're just going to have to come up with different ways to entice people to come to work. Because if you have this, this shortage and you have more attrition, what you're offering is not selling. What do you think you have to... What does your background have to be to qualify? Did they go over that? They what? did. And, and and a lot of it requires a, a certain degree and certain types social of work. social work and things. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big call that I've gotten from 30 and 40-year employees. They were kind of like, that doesn't float. I've been with the department for 40 years, and I have no degree. I just really? have a passion. Yeah. And it seems like other fields would be relevant, too. Teaching, uh, yeah. managing. Just now, now, they're saying, I think, a degree or... Ex- so much experience. Yeah, our experience. But what the longtime employees that have called me personally, mm-hmm. they're like, they, you have to hire people that have an absolute passion for this, and you're spending way too much time on the educational component. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. That's, yeah, no, that's not your background. No, but that will probably ask those questions. And I did mm-hmm. ask every person that has contacted me to call our Senate staff. We're going to put a laundry list together and either ask these folks to come testify or meet with independent folks that are looking mm-hmm. at the department. What do you think a typical call would be like? Like you were telling me before we started taping, it's this isn't pretty when someone gets called into a home. No, you know, I, I, I can just tell you from the calls that I get as a legislator, it, it just breaks my heart when you look at some of the calls I get. I mean, I'll get a call from a grandparent saying that, you know, my child is on drug XYZ. Um, both the husband and wife are just totally not with it. The conditions are just horrible. As the grandparents, I can't even see my kids. Where do I go next? Mm-hmm. You know, when you get those, I, I get a lot of grandparent calls. I'm, I'm sure they just feel like their hands are tied, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. Most of the calls I get, it's from kind of families that are having some major issues. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I don't know who's right, who's wrong. I just right. refer it to the department. But I can see just from, especially if I know the families, I'm even more confused of who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. I know when I interviewed, um, did a podcast on CASA, court-appointed special advocates, and uh, they were telling me one family, they remember, you know, the mother didn't know any better. It's how she was treated, but she would just throw potato chips on the floor for her children for a meal. And I, I couldn't believe it, but she said, that, you know, they didn't know any better. That's how they were treated. And I thought... And that's probably better than some of these other children are going through. But yeah, you know, it's, I, it's appalling what goes on on yeah. both sides. 
One of the calls that I can remember, um, I'd gone to one of the high schools in my district. I, I like to go once a year and try and teach some little civics classes. You do. And I'm not good, but I need a <laughs> I nap that. after. From, I need a nap after spending three hours in the classroom. But one of the uh, teachers told me that she said, "I need to know who to report because I've got two of my kids. I'm teaching on how to living in a car. Oh. They were just basically homeless. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I just I couldn't believe it. Right. What are some of the preliminary things you were hearing from the um, leadership of the Department of, what is it, Children and uh, Family Services? What were they telling you they were looking to do? Great, great question. Um, Some of the solutions that they say they're working on right now is adding staff, mostly in the Baton Rouge area, because the vacancies there are at the point that they are, it's, it's dangerous. So they're calling in people from other parts of the state to work there. Uh, they're looking to develop contracts to bring in more experienced clinical expertise. One of the things they talked about is they think that they need a medical component mm-hmm. to the caseworker. So if they do walk into that house or they look at that case, they basically bring in law enforcement, they bring in medical, and they're looking to partner up also with the managed care organizations for Medicaid. Okay. So if they can partner up with them and their caseworkers, that makes it better. They're talking about maybe making changes to the intake of information and levels of different oversight. Because one of the things we got into a huge discussion is who prioritizes if it's a case one, which is top mm-hmm. priority, versus a case four, which is not as top priority. Who, who's doing that? Um, they're looking at basically also boosting staff training and coaching, more diversity training, more... They, they say they're going to go into the department and get folks to kind of see where management is, you know, where's the level of supervision. So uh-huh. I guess, Jan, they have a laundry list I'm looking at of about 15 things, but it's just a bullet point. What we're stressing is that bullet point needs to have a detailed plan, detailed, what do you, if you implement this, where's it going to move the needle? Right. You know, where, where, where's the results going to be? And also, if this is your concept, when can we say it's checked off the box? So if they tell us it's going to be February of 23, every six weeks, we're going to want a status report. We're going to know where it's at. We're going to want that level of expertise in there. The other issue they talked a lot about is that it's becoming more and more safety or problems for the caseworker to walk into these homes because Mm -hmm. of every issue you talked about earlier. And so they're looking at maybe developing a retired police force team to join them. Mm-hmm. So combining law enforcement, medical, right. social work, the Medicaid piece as far as getting Medicaid eligibility, social work, behavioral folks in. Mm-hmm. I think they're looking for more of a team approach. I heard in the news that Governor Edwards wasn't wanting to throw out management, the top people. I know yeah. he's supportive because he wants to see this turned around. But, you know, a good coach can make a difference, right, in right. a team effort. So what are your thoughts? That's a great question. I, I think I'm sta- – because I've been asked this question statewide. I, I've worked with this leadership team for the last seven years. They've been very reactive anytime. Mm-hmm. So I can't really complain on the day-to-day grind of it. What's all coming to light is do you have the skill set to implement all yeah. of the changes you're proposing – and why did it take these two catastrophes to bring these changes? To shine the light on it, yeah. And I, I think I think we'll either see a lot of enthusiasm that things are being worked on, and the morale's better, and mm-hmm. the workforce is better, and you know the, the 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 foster care folks are happy. If in the next six to twelve weeks, if this thing keeps unraveling, then 
it might right. be a whole different answer, even from everybody's aspect. Yeah, because they didn't like you can just get a new computer program and transform this. This is people. No, they even did talk. There was so much, Jan, in the four and a half hours, I forget to tell you. But, you know, they even talked about just the IT challenges that the right hand knows what the right hand's doing, the left hand's doing. And if I'm doing this intake work, does this social worker know about it? Does this law enforcement person know about it? Does the DA know about it? So mm-hmm. it seems like... It seems like they have a tremendous amount of challenges. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure if the top leadership. Mm-hmm. It's too. Early, I think it's too early to say can you or can't you. I think yeah. it's time to say you said you're going to do this and show us your results. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more. I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be some studies about what other states are doing. I know they were going to. They were giving you information, but you don't know yourself. Is this truly, you know, nationwide or Maybe there's some states that have figured out how to do this in the 21st century. What I usually do is I usually reach out to the legislative auditor's mm-hmm. office because they talk to other 49 states. Yeah. And they're in, 100% independent. So that question would be, and, and I've had conversations with them, but that conversation would be, okay, from other 49 states, who, are, who who's got it done right? And mm-hmm. Maybe what's their model? Right. Was their audit findings? Right. Because that's the only place... Somebody's interested in government. Mm-hmm. Your, your audit findings are where you're going to get your best information. And that national conference on um, state legislatures. I yes. mean, they have so NCSL. much information yeah. for the other states. But exactly, it just it touches my heart because our most vulnerable little ones, you know, they don't even know. It, it was life probably be the better. toughest hearing we've had in in years, and it was tough. And I mean, there were. There's a, there were a lot of tears in the audience. I mean, even the department personnel, you could see mm-hmm. they were, there were some people crying in that audience. Um, our job, like we told them, is we're going to have very strict oversight and accountability. And mm-hmm. did you say, did you do what you say you're going to do? Right, right. Do you have a few minutes to stay? I want to sure. uh, take a break yes. and then kind of find out more about you, what's been going on otherwise. Happy to. Maybe with marijuana, maybe with other things. So. Happy to. As we're pausing, we always reflect back on a past interview, and I wanted to reflect back on one we did with Senator Gerald Boudreau. Mm-hmm. Now, Gerald represents portions of Lafayette, St. Landry, and St. Martin, so y'all kind of have some overlap yeah. there. And in this interview, he discusses his love of service also, and he talked about the opportunity that he has to help others, in particular the needs of veterans, and I know that he also focuses on education. Why don't we take a listen? Okay. Is, 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 you know, I'm chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee in, in, the, in the Senate. Okay. And, and if I have one regret in life is that I didn't, I didn't do any military time. And so I'm just so honored to, to serve as chair that. Mm-hmm. And by me not serving, I want to do three times what I should do because those people who have served our country and continue to serve in our state in the military deserve everything we can do for them plus more. And as a senator, um, I, I want to, I mean, you know, um, the military cemeteries, the military homes, so many things, so many of our, our, our veterans who, who, you know, have, have, post-traumatic syndrome, and it's going to be with them for their lives. You know, we want to, we have beautiful clinic here in, in, in Acadiana and Lafayette off of Ambassador. We have great staff. We have all of those resources available. We want to continue to do that for our mm-hmm. veterans. You know, so for me as a senator, 
I, I would say education and veterans. Um, you know, um, those like those they parents. they're at the top. I mean, we can't we can't do enough for our teachers. Um, there are no more teachers who's who's going to be in that classroom for forty years. Right. If we get twenty years, we're 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 we're, we're blessed. Um, but but we have some leaving after two and three years mm-hmm. because of discipline and because of so many other things. So education and and, and the veterans, I, I think those are the two at the top of my list that I, I really am truly honored and blessed to uh, to serve in the capacity of a senator um, and, and to help our people in those areas. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Senator Fred Mills, and I want to say um, before we move on, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to Discover Lafayette wherever you get your podcast, or you can visit our website, discoverlafayette.net, and you can find Senator Mills' interview, Senator Boudreaux's, and about 278, 280 others. We've got oh. quite a collection. So but let's get back to you, Senator Mills. The first interview I did, I was really curious about the medical marijuana industry. And I'm watching around the country, and more and more states are now allowing the sale of recreational marijuana. But I thought you could, I know we're not there, but I thought you could update us on where the law is and how it's going. It's, I guess, most of the way I gauge it is the calls I get from constituents. Uh Are they happy? It's, It's the most, I would say probably 99 out of 100 calls is, I want to tell you how pleased we are. I want to know how can I recommend this to another family member. Um, it's it's been so gratifying because so many people have called and said it's it's mm-hmm. it's helped them and um, especially cancer patients. Um, I know they had covered it in great detail on Governor Blanco's experience with medical marijuana. Yeah. And uh, when the family saw me, I saw him at Champagne's, and they had said that she took a dose. It was right when it came out. And she was playing cards that night. Oh gosh! And talking to the family, we're all crying by the by the chicken salad by Champagne's. Well, that's the best. It <laughs> is. It's really good. Besides, about ten others in town too. <laughs> exactly. I can't take a favor. And uh, so, no, <laughs> I think it's you know now there are challenges in any mm-hmm. new industry. One is probably the price points. Um, it's, it's expensive still. It still has not gotten to mass production, and mm-hmm. the two universities with their public-private partnership, we're hoping that they can become more, just more product in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I've had, I'd have, I've had su- supply problems that really was one of my main concerns by limiting the distribution and production, that there would be some shortages. Mm-hmm. And some of the marijuana dispensaries told me they did have shortages. Now, if you're on a regimen for a debilitating disease that you need on a monthly basis, that's not an, that's not excusable. Yeah. So that, that has been a challenge. The price points, inventory levels. Are you seeing the doctors prescribing it, or are most doctors willing to prescribe it? I think there's some that are still wary of the fact that it's a Schedule One federal drug, and the federal mm-hmm. government has not gotten into lockstep with the states. So I do think there's some physicians still leery of it. But even the physicians that are leery of it are call me up and go, okay, do you have somebody that... It would prescribe it. So I uh-huh. think I think they're trying to find a solution for the patient. So our AG's office, Attorney General, hasn't tried to prosecute anyone. No, it's it's been. I have to say, it's been one of those issues that we do have to tweak it and mm-hmm. work on it. But it's not been an issue of. Um, 
You know, drug diversion was a huge thing law enforcement said. They said it would just open the door for more and more. And it really hasn't. No, because the way it's structured is when you bring in that what's called a recommendation, but it's it's prescribed by a physician. It goes to a permitted site that's permitted by the Louisiana Board of Pharmacy. And when they fill that recommendation, it goes into a database system mm-hmm that immediately you can see if there's abuse. So the minute that patient brings in the prescription, they're mandated to look at the prescription monitoring program. Right. And they can see in real time, is this a shopper? Is this a, somebody that's gotten more than they should? And uh, the industry, doctors and pharmacists do a fabulous job of monitoring that system. Have you had the opportunity to try it? No, I haven't. You don't have pains, like aches and pains. And it's not a debilitating last disease, thank God, so far. No, right. no I, I I've haven't. never tried it. I was just curious what it does. You just you think people just say they, like, you know, for pain. I know yeah. that other people, it helps other conditions. Yeah. But they just feel less... You know, it's... Um, it's Icky. From talking to the folks that have the dispensaries, mm-hmm. they've really worked on the concentration of the cannabinoids and the THC and everything. So it's it's very individualized to mm-hmm. that person, that person's need. And the way the law reads, it has to be the minimal amount of THC yeah. to be effective. Now, in some so cases, no buzz. well, in some cases, you need a high level of THC. That's the minimal level. I see. But, um, you know, I mean... Uh, what I've heard over and over again, it's a lot safer than, than hydrocodone. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a lot safer. Yeah. And uh, so I, well, I've not heard since the bill was enacted into law, mm-hmm. I've not heard one call from law enforcement, from DAs, from judges of the concerns that they Good. had. And we had some really deep discussions. Mm-hmm. And they said this was going to be creeping and starting things over. But when I see the people that are getting prescriptions for it, They've got cancer. They've got epilepsy. They've got yeah. debilitating diseases. It's legitimate. Yeah. yeah. You think we'll be um, legalizing marijuana recreational anytime in the near future? I think it's a generation away. In Louisiana. Uh, yeah. The calls I get from probably people 40 on down is what the heck. Mm-hmm. The calls I get from people 55 on up is heck no. Uh-huh. Uh, and but, they probably smoked it when they were in college, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, <laughs> maybe wood, tried the it. Woodstock crowd. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a generation away uh-huh. uh, because I can just see in the legislature when we had the first debate for medical marijuana, the vote was just so narrow to pass it, and a lot of those legislators were term limited, and the younger folks that were elected. This wasn't even an issue for them. Right. It was not even an issue. It's like, right. okay, what, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. If, if you've got cancer and you need this, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very, very generational. Any other big issues this past session, you know, in the health and welfare? Oh, arena? my goodness. The big issue this past session was you had a, an anti-vaccine crowd. You had an anti-COVID crowd. Then on the other side, you had a, a crowd of folks that were very worried about COVID. So they were very much public health, public health, public health. And it was probably some of the most controversial pieces of legislation that came in front of our committee. And it was extremely, extremely emotional. I mean, in one committee hearing, it got to the point where we had to ask some people to be escorted out. Uh, it was really, it was, it was very tough discussions. What was the discussion about the uh, mandates on the vaccine itself? Or? Yeah, the, um, there was a group of folks that didn't want any type of mandate whatsoever on any type of vaccines. Uh, there was legislation that basically told the med schools and everybody else is that, no, it's the Wild Wild West, you're going to do what you want. 
there were groups that were really upset that there were any kind of mandated vaccines in the school system. Mm-hmm. When we got into to show them that none of this was mandated, it was all basically if if you wanted to sign an opt out document, it you was can you can sign it. But still, they didn't like the word mandated vaccines. So we visited with the governor's office and they changed the terminology to recommended vaccines. And so I think the temperature level went down. But you did have a a group of staunch anti-vaccine people that have been at the Capitol for a long time. And they were combining forces with other folks. So it was... It was one that I would get a call one day, and, and Janet it was the, kind of this call, like, I'm having a wedding. This was in early March of 2020. Oh. Yeah. I'm having a wedding with 700 people. You and the fire department can go to heck, and we're going to have it. <laughs> 700 Then the next people. call I would get would be, I'm at Target. Nobody has a mask on. Who's getting arrested? Mm-hmm. It was it yeah. was those kind of, and I mean, a lot of those calls. You know, when we were coming up, everybody just got in line for our little polio and different shots. And it was just a different day, a different level of trust. I remember when I was a young boy, um, it was after church at St. Bernard Church. They had a cafeteria table oh, yeah. with the little polio cubes out there. The priest said, come get your polio cube. Little people in line. Nobody yeah. filled out a piece of paper. There were not, nothing, you know, it, it was just, it was, it was remarkable. Nobody wanted and polio. And you see where polio is starting to make a... Yeah. A comeback. It worries me. I've talked to the state health officers and they have a major concern that People are just not vaccinating mm-hmm. their children. But that's a very personal, volatile issue. It is. And very you know, personal. I had such a bad reaction to the COVID vaccine. Did, did I, you really? Oh, my gosh. The first one I just dropped. I fainted. And I went back for my second one three weeks later, and I just had the worst allergic reaction. My oh whole my face swelled up. I couldn't go out for about five days. High fever. I did not take it well. Yeah. So I get that people don't want it, but it was like... I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't want to be... I'm not sure all the information we got. And we learned. People knew we're learning. And we learned a so lot. So I don't regret it, but I don't really want to get another shot, you I know, know, just because of the way it affected me. So I get both sides of it. I wanted to be a good citizen, though. I know. It, 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 this was probably in my 23 years in being elected. This was it's the most controversial... <laughs> Controversial issues out yeah. there, and 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 you started bringing in a lot of folks. You started getting religious right wing Christian groups. Mm-hmm. They became involved. You started getting certain sectors of political parties involved. But I don't think I've ever seen where people that have dedicated their life to public health were getting threatened. Mm-hmm. That was kind of yeah. That was sad. that was tough to see. Yeah, it was really tough to see because those people in public health they just. Mm-hmm. They, they just want what's best for everybody's overall health. I agree. I agree. So this this is your last term? Yeah. I got, Are I got, you happy or sad? Like I enjoyed it, uh, but I'm I'm kind of looking forward to going to Reds a little bit more in yeah? the afternoon. You're going to get back in uh, Zumba? Uh, well, so, I, they, they, I, I flunked the course. You so did? I can't, I can't get I used back to see again. you up there. <laughs> that was body pump. Zumba. Oh, no. Oh, was it body pump oh, yeah, on Saturday no, mornings? Yeah. So, yeah, but I've, I've enjoyed it. It was fun. <laughs> I hope to continue to do community service work. Mm-hmm. I like helping. So, But it's been, a, it's been a good ride. Remind me of when you started. What was your first elected first uh, well i guess the first dabble was i, I like in high school did you run for office n- no <laughs> no not really but i i was just out of pharmacy school just opened my drugstore up and i called my dear friend scott angela who was on the parish uh, <laughs> uh, police jury and i said scott the hospital's got all kind of problems oh really i said yeah and i was in my 20s all of a sudden i get in the mail like 
two weeks later, congratulations, you've been appointed to the hospital board. Oh, no. So I called him. I said, what the heck? He said, no, you got all the answers. Go serve. And that started. It's a good friend. Yeah, but it was a good experience. My first elected position was um, on the police, on the parish council in St. Martin Parish. Mm-hmm. Great experience for eight years. With Scott. With Scott, was, was the parish president. Uh, oh, my and, gosh. Uh, it was really... A few jokes were told, huh? A few jokes were told, but I tell you what, he was, he was fabulous. I mean, if you look at the road system in St. Martin Parish, the parish road system, he passed a, a one-cent sales tax, which they say is the hardest thing in the world to do is to pass a sales tax. Mm-hmm. And it was dedicated 100% to roads. And I think it was a game changer for St. Martin Parish. It really, really was. Mm-hmm. And um, all our health units were redone. All the libraries were redone. Drainage was worked on. Mm-hmm. The hospital. If you if you go to St. Martin Hospital in uh, Brobridge, you won't believe that public-private partnership with Oshner. Yeah, it's they great. Ju- yeah. They just remodeled it. About a fi- maybe a $20 million renovation. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So it's so been you were on fun. the police jury, and then next was um, I ran state rep? for state rep, uh-huh. Representative Sidney Derwin had retired, yeah. and I ran for that seat, and uh, I won that. That was in 08. Uh-huh. And then there was an open seat. Senator Troy Bear uh, retired early, and there was an open seat, a special election. I ran mm-hmm. for that. And uh, that was interesting. That was a six-week election with six people running. Oh, wow. But probably nice not to have to do it for a year. But it was tough. It was during the Christmas holidays. I mean, when you stopped at places, they were like, get the heck out of here. We're not worried (laughs) about an election. So that was an experience. Mm -hmm. And then since then, I've been- 12 years. This is your 11th year? Uh, This is my- I'm finishing my 15th year in the legislature. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I did three years in the House. And Mm -hmm. so next year will be my last year. One more session. Yeah. Any advice for people that might want to run for office? If you have that burning desire and your family supports you, you should give it a shot. You really should. Now, before I give it a shot, I'd probably ask to get appointed maybe to some public boards Mm -hmm. and see what it's about. You know, like in Lafayette, I'm sure the library board would be a lot of action. I'm sure the human service district boards. There's a lot of boards and commissions that Mm -hmm. you can do public work and see if you really like it. And you really see how the the different groups interact. Yeah. You know, because it's not just one group acting. It always, you always affect other people. You see the dynamics of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's been enjoyable, Jan. Mm-hmm. Well, any uh, any other thoughts? Anything you thought I would ask you that I haven't? You're so good. You do oh, you, you do a, an excellent interview. No, I, I think, you know, if we circle back to DCFS, yeah. I'm glad you're covering it. I think it affects, in somehow, some way, child services affects everybody in mm-hmm. some way. So. I may call you. This is not going to come out for a couple of weeks. I'm, I may call you and just get if yeah, there's get any an update. updates. But yeah. um, I just wanted people in our area to realize this is an issue. You know, our, our families, our children. Um, we, we need to be aware of what's going on around us. And it is. An this issue. is just heartbreaking. It truly is, and everybody deserves a chance. Everybody deserves a chance. A lot of us probably listening to the podcast have had an added advantage of our environment and. Mm-hmm. A lot of these kids and families, they, they just need a chance. Right. Well said. Senator Fred Mills, I want to thank you again for being my friend and serving our community. It's a pleasure to see you. Keep up the great work, Jan. Thank you. And I want to thank our listeners. Um, we appreciate your loyal support. And we couldn't do this without the support of our sponsors. First, I want to thank Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape and makes it sound so professional. We're grateful for you. I'd also like to thank Home Bank and our newest sponsor, Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital. We're very grateful to have you on board. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, thank you for listening. This is Jan Swift. 